Well, here I am. Here I am. Welcome back to Oddballers. My name is Elizabeth. I am your procrastinating podcast host who very much forgot that June was even a month and then June was here and June was gone and I had no episode and here we are. So I feel bad because, you know, I didn't make an episode in June, but I also am kind of like, well, you know, it was a well-deserved break and I feel like the last episode that I had made was about burnout. So it really probably wasn't a shock to you guys to see that coming. So anyways, we're back. We're sitting out on my deck and I don't even have headphones in. Um, so we're really changing things up. You can kind of hear the wind blow. So it's probably not ideal for podcast making. However, we needed a new scene, something fresh, something awesome. And it is July and it's, what is it out? 90 degrees out, but it's breezy. And also you guys, I just got surgery on my toe today. So, um, I decided why would I sit upstairs when I can sit outside? It's such a beautiful thing. Now, let me preface this. I didn't get surgery, surgery, surgery on my toe. It was like surgery in air quotes, surgery, like small procedure. I had like an ingrown toenail and they had to like cut a bunch of my nail out and like stab stuff in my nail bed, which was kind of gross. Um, so now I have a giant blue toe. Um, and it's super fun, but you didn't hear it come here to hear me talk about my toenail procedure. So I'm not going to, you came here to listen to me talk about whatever we're talking about today, which I'll get to because bad news. You didn't have an episode in June. I apologize for that. Good news, though, in my scramble to find something to talk about, I have been listening to another podcast. And I don't normally plug other people's podcasts because I'm like, you should be listening to mine. But I'm also like, mm, let's share the wealth, you know, let's let's share the wealth. We know of a good podcast. Let's share it. So I've been listening to the podcast called My Favorite Murder um, with hosts Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark. It is so funny. It is so well researched. They do not, although they're comedians and they're laughing about the things they're talking about, they're not laughing at the fact that they're talking about murder. They are still really um, careful and they understand that this is like triggering topics that they can talk about. So they're really cautious about it. And it's not like they're making fun of murder or anything they just add some humorous um moments to lighten the mood which i think is really cool i mean you shouldn't be shocked that i listened to that based on some weird shit that i talk about on here however it sparked an idea i was like man why don't i do a murder episode like every once in a while you know which sparked another idea for a podcast idea that i'm actually working on the future hopefully it will be a collaboration um those are all the details you're getting though because I don't really want to jinx it and I'm scared that if I tell you more it won't happen because who knows it might not happen and I might probably already jinxed it but I'm working on an outline I've been talking to somebody to possibly get a collaboration going hopefully something murder related we'll see we'll see so with that being said My procrastinating self quickly dug up some details while I was supposed to be interviewing for a position that I'm hiring for for one of my five billion jobs that I have. 
And while I was listening to My Favorite Murder, um, they were talking about this murder on one of their, like, mini episodes that they do. And it was, like, a hometown murder. And this guy was, like, telling the story. And I was like, actually, that would make a really good murder. So I was like, "Mm, I kind of want to do that. I want to do an episode on that because there were so many different parallels and different things that could be encountered in between them. And I was like, I don't know. It seems pretty easy. So I'm going to tell you the story of a murderer. A serial killer who is believed to be the serial killer to be behind the idea of the quote lovely lovers lane murders which are like the kind of murders that you see in movies people who couples making out on a cliff or in the woods or at prom or in the movies or whatever and then a serial killer comes and like murders them the serial killer was never caught however the lore and legacy that the serial killer leaves behind is one that has lived on in movies, books, stories, and modern pop culture, and one that is absolutely chilling to the bone. So sit back, sit on your deck, listen to the to the breeze, which is why we're outside, because it's not as scary when you're outside in the broad daylight. But I'm going to tell you the story about the town that feared sundown, the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. I'm going to tell you the story about the one and only Texarkana Phantom Killer. Now, again, just a disclaimer, this information is basically pulled off of Wikipedia and Reddit and Murderpedia and a few other sources due to my procrastination, but also because I'm not going to like redo all of the work that they did when it's just facts. So please don't come at me. Okay, let's get started. Texarkana Moonlight Murders, a term coined by the contemporary press, was a series of unsolved serial murders and other violent crimes committed in and around the Texarkana region between Arkansas and Texas in the spring of 1946. They were attributed to an alleged unidentified serial killer known as the Phantom of Texarkana, or simply the Phantom Killer or Phantom Slayer. This hypothetical perpetrator is credited with attacking eight people, five of whom were murdered in just a 10-week period. So let's go ahead and start at the beginning. The Texarkana Moonlight Murders involved four violent attacks, which occurred over 10 weeks from February to May in 1946 in and all the way around Texarkana. So Twin Cities, at the border of Miller County, Arkansas and Bowie County, Texas, hence Tex-Arcana. All four attacks targeted male-female pairs in isolated locations at night, on the weekends, while it, with attacks occurring at intervals of just three to four weeks, and the attacks have been speculated to be the work of an unidentified serial killer. On February 22nd was the first attack. So on, hang on, there's a big wasp. Again, I'm out of my deck. 
hate wasps. Okay, sorry, that ruined the entire vibe, but I'm gonna keep that in there because, I don't know, kind of spooky. Anyways, at 11.45 p.m. on Friday, February 22nd, 1946, Jimmy Hollis, who is 25 years old, and his girlfriend, Mary Jeannie Larry, who is 19, are parked on a secluded road known as Lover's Lane after having seen a movie together. The area was approximately three feet from the last row of city homes, and around 10 minutes later, a man wearing a white cloth mask, which resembled a pillowcase with the eye holes cut out of them, appeared in Hollis's driver's side door, and he shined a flashlight in the window, and they were unsure if it was a prank or not. Hollis had said, you have the wrong person, and the man responded, I don't want to kill you, fella so do what I say. Both Hollis and Lowry were ordered out of the driver's side door and the man ordered Hollis to take off his breeches. After he complied, the man struck him in the head twice with his pistol. Lowry, the girlfriend, later told investigators that the noise was so loud she initially thought Hollis had been shot, but it was actually just his skull fracturing. Oh my God, that's horrible. Um, thinking the assailant wanted to rob them, Lowry showed him Hollis's wallet to prove that they had no money, which after she was then struck with a blunt object and then she was ordered to stand, she did so, um, then he told her to run. Initially, she tried to flee towards a ditch, but the assailant ordered her to run up the road. Lowry spotted an old car parked off the road and found again was confronted by the attacker who asked her why she was running when she responded that he had told her to do so he called her a liar before knocking her down sexually assaulting her with the barrel end of his gun after the assault laurie fled on foot running half a mile to a nearby house where she woke the residents of the house and finally phoned the police so this is the first story of this texarkana moonlight murder the first killing the first attack um, so we'll keep going. Hollis had regained his consciousness and alerted a passing motorist who called the police. And then within 30 minutes, the Bowie County Sheriff, Bill Presley, and three other officers arrived on the scene of the attack at the Lover's Lane location. The assailant had already left. Lowry was hospitalized overnight for a minor head wound. And then Hollis was hospitalized for several days to recover from his multiple skull fractures. Hollis and Lowry gave conflicting reports of their attacker. Lowry claimed that she could see under the mask that he was a light-skinned African-American. Hollis alternatively claimed it was a tan white man around 30 years old, but conceded that he could not distinguish his features because he was blinded by this flashlight. But both of them basically agreed he was like six foot tall. Um, and law enforcement repeatedly challenged Lowry's account, of course, because she's a woman, and believed that she and Hollis knew the identity of the attacker and they were covering for him. So that was the first attack. And they thought that maybe they were lying or maybe something was going on. But um, again, this is 1946. So police investigations were very different. Um, you know, they didn't quite believe everybody all the time, especially women. Um, which is really unfortunate. I feel like women have had a rough go of it. 
um, when it comes to murder investigations. And especially here, they're straight up calling her a liar and telling her that, you know, we don't believe you. Um, we're challenging your account, your witness account, which I feel like today witness accounts are more likely to be challenged because you're going to believe what you're going to believe you saw. And if you actually believe that you saw that, even if it's not true, even a lie detector can't prove that. So that was the first murder. Um, it was the first attack, I guess. Nobody was murdered. They were just, they were just severely injured. Um, the second attack was Richard Griffin, age 29, and his girlfriend of six weeks, Polly Ann Moore, who was 17. Um, they were both found dead in Griffin's car on the Sunday morning of March 24th, 1946. Um, a passing motorist found them. He saw the car parked on Lover's Lane, 100 yards south of US Highway 67. The motorist thought they were both asleep at first, uh, and Griffin was found to be in the front seat on his knees with his head resting um, his crossed hands and his pockets turned inside out. Moore was found sprawled face down in the back seat. There's evidence, however, to suggest that she was placed there after being killed on a blanket outside the car. Griffin had been shot twice while in the car. Both had been shot once in the back of the head and were fully clothed. A uh, blood-soaked patch of earth near the car suggested to the police that one of them or both of them had been killed outside the car and placed back in the car. Um, congealed blood was found to covering the running boards and that it had flowed to the bottom of the car door and a 32 millimeter cartridge case was also found possibly ejected from the pistol wrapped in a blanket. No extant report indicated that either Griffin or Moore was examined by a pathologist, though, and there are local rumors that a sexual assault had occurred, but modern reports are actually refusing this claim, which, like, I don't know. Of course they are. So that was the second, or sorry, the first double murder. The second double murder occurred around 1.30 a.m. on Sunday, April 14th, Paul Martin, who was 17, was picking up Betty Jo Booker, who was 15, from a musical performance at the VFW Club. Martin's body was found at 6.30 a.m. that morning, uh, lying on his left side by the northern edge of North Park Road. Blood was found on either side of the road by a fence. He had been shot four times through the nose, through the ribs from behind in the right hand and through the back of the neck and then Booker Betty Betty Joe Booker's body was found by a search party at 11:30 a.m. almost two miles away from where Martin's body was found behind a tree her body was lying on its back fully clothed with the right hand in a pocket of a buttoned overcoat Booker had been shot twice um, through the chest once and once through the face oh that's horrible the weapon was used at the same time the weapon that was used was the same as the first murder uh, martin's car was found three miles away from booker's body um, and about a mile and a half away from his it was parked on the other side of spring lake park with the keys still in it authorities were not sure who was shot first however 
Um, Sheriff Presley and Texas Ranger Captain Manuel Gonzalez said that the examiners of the body indicate that they were both uh, put up for a terrible struggle. Martin's friend, Tom Aberton, said that he did not believe an argument had happened between the victims and that Martin had really no enemies. So basically they were kind of saying like, this is random. They don't really know what was going on. So at this point, there have been, there was an attack and there have been two double murders. So at this point, there are four people dead two people injured and the town is going absolutely bonkers so um people are freaking out they don't know what to do um they're thinking this is a serial killer they haven't caught him they don't know who it is and of course these are obviously really young people to be getting killed 17 and 15 um another 17 year old um a 19 year old and of course you have you know someone who's 25 someone who's 29 like these people are getting attacked and murdered and it's just it's just terrible um and of course they're all the texas rangers have gotten involved now um and mainly because this is a huge issue because part of texarkana is in texas and part of it is in arkansas so you have this really weird jurisdiction issue that's occurring in these murders. They don't really know who's in charge of them. Obviously, people are both involved. You have the Texas Ranger who's involved on the one side, and then you also have the um, you know, Arkansas police involved on the other side. So it, it's you just it's such a weird weird situation so that leads us to friday may 3rd um sometime before 9 p.m virgil starks who was 37 and his wife katie age 36 were in their home on a 500 acre farm off of uh highway 67 east almost 10 miles north of texarkana he was sitting in an armchair reading a paper when he was shot twice in the back of the head from a closed double window. Um, hearing the sound of broken glass, Katie came into the other room and saw Virgil stand up then slump back in his chair. When she realized he was dead, she ran to the wall, crank telephone to call the police. She rang twice before being shot in the face from the same window. She fell, but she then regained her footing tried to get the pistol from the other room, but was blinded by her own blood. She heard the killer in the back of the house and fled out the front door. She ran barefoot across the street to her sister and brother-in-law's house because there was no one home. She ran to a neighbor, A.V. Practor's house, um, and gasped that Virgil's dead and then collapsed. Prater shot a rifle in the air to summon other neighbors. Elmer Taylor, who pre Prater sat to collect his, sent to collect his car. Taylor complied along with the Prater family who took Katie Starks and Michael to um, now the Miller County Health Unit. The Starks were questioned in the operating room. Um, sorry, Starks was questioned in the operating room by the Miller County Sheriff, W.E. Davis, who became head of the investigation. 
Four days later, Davis talked with Starks again, and she discounted a circulating rumor that Virgil had heard a car outside their home several nights in a row, and they feared being killed. So there's a lot of rumors happening with this murder, um, just a lot of them in general. And now you see we have the Miller County police in, in char in, involved. You have the Bowie County police in charge, which are from Texas and one from Arkansas. You have Texas Rangers involved. So you have all these people involved. Um, and the investigations of the attacks, obviously, they involve these numerous um, officers from cities and counties and federal, state and federal levels. Noble, um, notable investigators. Um, you know, Bill Presley, the Bowie County Sheriff, um, Jackson Neely Runnels, who is the Texarkana, Texas uh, Chief of Police, um, W.E. Davis, the Miller County Sheriff, Max Andrews Tactic, the Arkansas Police, State Police Detective, um, Tillon Johnson, the Miller County Sheriff's Deputy, um, and of course the Texas Ranger, um, Gonzalez. So, you have all these people and law enforcement repeatedly challenged Laurie's account of the very first attack. Um, so also at this point, um, they're challenging Lowry, of course, but then this fifth murder had just happened. But um, it had happened while they were inside their home and it was shot through a window. So at this point, people in town are boarding up their windows. People are panicking through the streets. It is a full, full case. There is an investigation going on. They have, um, they have... <coughs> Sorry, my cat just knocked off my water bottle off of this thing that I'm sitting on. Um, they're very nosy. Anyways, we have, um, you know, so many people that are just being murdered in this small amount of time. And also, they're panicking. They have no idea what to do. People were shot in their home through their double-paned closed windows. So this means that, you know, people in town are boarding up their windows, they have a strict curfew, they're going home at night. They, they are the town that feared sundown, and that is actually a movie that was made based on this case. Um, so in response to the Griffin-Moore murders, which um, were the actual, the first murders that happened, Police w launched a citywide investigation along with the Texas and Arkansas City Police. Um, and over 200 persons were questioned in the case. About the same number of false leads were actually checked. People found with bloody clothing were taken into custody. All three were cleared of suspicion. Um, in the Martin Booker case, which was the third one, Friends, acquaintances, and several suspects were questioned in the Bowie County buildings by officers who were 24-hour relays. Um, suspects were brought in from as far as 100 miles away. Um, Gonzalez tried, you know, baiting the phantom by recruiting teenagers to sit as decoys in parked cars while officers waited nearby, which is so effed up. Um, officers volunteered as decoys with real partners or mannequins, again, so effed up. Following the Booker Martin murders, some officers actually hid in trees at Spring Lake Park. Um, after May 3rd, when the Starks murder 
happened. Um, officers from the entire area were help, were called to help the investigation. Blockades were in effect on Highway 67 East. Those had been driving in the area near the time of the slaying, um, along with several men found in the vicinity were detained for questioning. By March 5th, they had uh, 47 officers who were then working to solve this murder, which is, in some people's opinion, I feel like, I don't know, in my opinion, I guess, is too many. You have so many eyes on it. You have 47 people looking into this murder, this, this serial killer case, this investigation. That is a lot of people with hands-on evidence, with, with false leads, with information. They're maybe not all cooperating together because they have this, like, jurisdiction issue. Um, they're all trying to solve the murders. On May 9th, a mobile radio station arrived with 20 Arkansas State Police officers and a fleet of 10 prowl cars equipped with two-way radios to help coordinate growing investigations. On May 11th, a tell-type machine was installed in the Bowie County Sheriff's. The unofficial theory for the motive against the majority of officers was that of um, sex mania, as a large amount of money were in, was in the home and not taken, nor was Katie Stark's purse. So by March 30th, police had posted a $500 reward in an effort to gain any new information on the case, but produced over 100 false leads with no fruitful cases or suspects. And within a day of the book's Martin murders, the reward fund had exceeded $1,700 and rose to almost $7,000 on the night of the Stark murder and then passed $10,000 in the following days. So there's a lot of people that are just coming in with false leads and they keep raising this money to be like, if you have information, we'll give you $10,000. And this again, 1947. That's a lot of money today. That's a lot of money back in 1947. Um, they say that there was some hesitation in linking the Stark murders the Starks murder to the other crimes because the weapon in this specific case was a 22 millimeter and Davis believed that it was an automatic rifle by November 1948. So two years later, authorities no longer consider the Stark murder connected to the double murders. So it's connected in the way that why else would it not be part of it? It seems random for this town who that doesn't have a lot going on to have just another one happen. Um, however, they had two years later no longer considered it part of the double murder. Um, and again, this was a town that, you know, previously it had been normal for houses to be unlocked, but the murders, you know, raised these alarms in residents. They started taking precaution for security, locking doors, arming themselves with guns. People nailed sheets over their windows, nailed um, windows down by using screen braces or window guards. And after Stark's death, um, doors sold out of guns, locks, ammunition, window shades, um, blinds, everything. Additional items of which sales increased, though, included window stash locks, screen door hooks, night latches, and other protective devices. And guard dogs were also local, sought in local want ads, too. Because people were just very nervous. 
and they were armed with guns and Texarkana had become this really dangerous place. Um, th then the hysteria just kept growing, you know. Uh, additionally, it was at that point that it was hypoth... Oh my gosh, I can't talk. I'm sorry. Um, so at this point, it was hypothesized that um, a serial killer dubbed the Phantom Killer by local media was was the one that were killing these people. Um, and of course, this led to s these terrible rumors. Um, they held a press conference to dispel the rumors that the murder had been caught. Um, but they continued to be spread through mid-May. People believed that, you know, the Slayer had been caught. They believed that he was secretly be held, being held at the Bowie County Jail or had fled from another jail. The Gazette and news offices were drowned with phone calls, um, local and long distance. People really just didn't know what to think. Um, they had no idea what to think because, you know, these people were just attacked and that was kind of their mo the method of operation their their modus operandi um that they say was established for the killer that he attacked young couples in empty private areas outside city limits using a 32 millimeter cal 32 caliber gun through although the caliber was used in the stark murder was a 22 um, the 32 was believed to be in the majority of the lawmen used by the Phantom. And he always attacked late at night on weekends with cooling off periods of about two to three weeks within the attacks. Um, so they had an MO on this guy. Um, the Phantom Killer case, there was almost 400 suspect suspects were arrested. However, numerous false leads, false confessions, all these things were investigated by police. Um, they recall nine people who confessed to being the phantom, but their statements did not agree with the facts from the cases. Uh, the Hollis and Lowry case, which is the first one, the people that actually lived, um, there were no suspects to be apprehended. And in the Griffin and Moore case, over 200 suspects were questioned about the same number of false tips and leads were checked. So you can see like they were attacked, okay, whatever, but then someone's murdered and all of a sudden we have 200 suspects. So again, probably something that is just, you know, like, I mean, how do you tell? There's 47 people on this case um, and they're all, you know, sitting there and talking to each other and they have all these leads. So there, there are a few suspects. Um, the first one, I'm going to botch some of these names, I'm sorry. Yo Yoel Swinney, um, a 29-year-old car thief and counterfeiter. He was arrested in July by Tackett, who was uh, investigating car thefts after realizing that on the night of the Griffin Moore murders, a car had been stolen in the area and previously stolen cars had been found abandoned. Um, so he was a suspect. Um, police were able to independently verify some of the details of the confession, um, such as the location of the victim's possessions where they said YOLO had discarded them, etc. So Sweeney was never charged with murder, but instead tried 
and imprisoned as a habitual offender for car theft. So they got him for something, but they still don't know if he was the killer. The other one was Henry Booker Duty Tenson, who was an 18-year-old university freshman who died by suicide November 4th, 1948, leaving behind cryptic instructions, which directed investigators to a suicide note, which Tenson had confessed to Booker, Martin, and Stark's murder. Um, he had played trombone in the same high school band as Booker. They were not friends. Investigators were unable to find any other evidence that Tenson um, did these murders. So, I don't know. And then a friend of his said that they had been playing cards when they heard news of the attack. Another suspect was Ralph Bauman, a 21-year-old ex-Army Force uh, Air Force machine gunner who claimed to have woken from a fugitive state of several weeks um, on the day of the Stark murder with his rifle missing, said that he had heard about suspects matching the description um, and hitchhiked to Los Angeles, feeling like he was running from murder. On May 23rd, he told the LA police that he thought he might be the phantom. I'm my own suspect, he said. Just super confusing. The police arrested him, but Gonzalez said that, you know, several parts of his story had little basis, um, and he had been discharged for uh, psychoneurotic, being, being a psycho, psychoneurotic, um, and eventually had confessed to killing three people in Texarkana in a period of three days, but that did not match any of the timeline for these killings. So, so far, all of these people's timelines, they're confessing and they don't add up. Um, there was also a saxophone peddler, um, he, but he was cleared as a suspect, a German prisoner of war, um, and apparently he just kind of vanished into thin air. Um, there was an unknown hitchhiker, which is super descriptive. Um, but they were doubtful that this man was the phantom killer, noting that the killer had gone to lengths to conceal his identity while the hitchhiker bousted to a living witness. Um, there was an Atoka County suspect, so someone from Oklahoma. Um, they arrested him and arrested a suspect, but didn't believe this man was actually the phantom because according to the man's story, he could have never been in Texarkana at the same time of the Stark murders. But again, it, two years after that, they did rule it out. So what's to say that he wasn't the killer? Um, there was also a taxi driver, but again, he was soon cleared. And then there was Earl McSpadden, um, who, I mean, this murder is unsolved. He, so Earl, at 6 a.m., the body of Earl McSpadden was found at the Kansas City Southern Railways, 16 miles north of Texarkanis near Ogden. The body's left arm and leg had been severed by a freight train half an hour earlier. The coroner's jury verdict stated that the death at the hands of the person is unknown and that he was dead before being placed on the railroad tracks. Because of this murder, it is uh, because of this the murder is unsolved. Locals have speculated that McSpadden was the Phantom's sixth victim not necessarily a suspect. Um, the Palmer rumor exists, though, claiming that McSpadden was the phantom and had committed suicide by jumping in front of the train. So just, just a lot of suspects, a lot of things. Um, again, this, this is 
scorched media. In 1976, Texarkana native Charles Pierce made the film The Town That Dreaded Sundown, based on Gonzalez's investigation into the murders. Um, and then they screen it in the park in Texarkana, like, annually. Um, and then there was a sequel with the same name. Um, just a couple of different things. Television shows, Chillers, Killer Legends. Um, there's an episode on Riverdale, actually, in 2007 called The Town That Dreaded Sundown, based on the Texarkana murderers. And I think that was, like, what the Black Hood or whatever was based on if you watch it there's like a lot of things that it's based in that they shove it down in um regardless though this is 1946 this is the stereotype this is the first murders that happened and they were believed to be you know the the initial the og lovers lane murders and so it's really easy to kind of say this is this is a piece of history that I had never heard of before but you always hear of like the lovers lane murderers and I think you hear of that a lot off a lot more when it comes to other types of murders too um, which I guess brings us to our next point that I'm going to make and I don't know. I, you hear about all these murders. Again, 47 police officers, detectives, people involved in this case. It's really hard not to to catch this guy. It's really hard to catch this guy when you have that many people messing with evidence, looking at things, not sure, following different leads. It's really difficult. Um, so it's really not crazy to say, oh, yeah, it was never solved. However, in my scrolling through reddit and scrolling through all of these things there are similarities between the texarkana phantom killer and another famous murder or serial killer that you may have heard of um a lot of people see similarities between the texarkana moonlight murderer and the fort lauderdale killings um there was a lot of similarities between that um, because five people were killed in Fort Lauderdale with the same MO and were also never caught only like five months later. So people are like, Oh, that's the same killer possibly. And the thing that you have to know about, you know, Texarkana is that, you know, it was a really rough and tumble blue collar, blue collar town with this military presence, similar to Fort Lauderdale, which is why, um, when this other attack occurred in Fort Lauderdale in October of 1946, just five months later, authorities have, you know, surmised that it may have been the same killer. Um, the event occurred near the ocean on a secluded beach. Um, the victims were Lawrence O'Hagan and Elaine Eldridge. So again, this Lover's Lane um, M.O., um, they were both shot with a 32 caliber handgun, although at this time the police considered it to be a foreign make, and both vi victims um, died on the scene. So you can see that, you know, this is a really similar MO in a very similar town, and literally just five months after the ending of the murders in Texarkana, same MO. 
Um, so it's easy to say, wow, they could have really been the same. And as I'm like on Reddit, there's so many different things you can like go down and so many rabbit holes you can see and so many different people have been saying like, oh, you know, it's 100% the same person or et cetera. Um, so it's really up to you to decide. However, there is one more connection or one more investigation, I should say, um, that has a very, very similar, almost coincidental, uh, you know, parallels to the Texarkana Moonlight Murderers. However, um, this killer would be found almost 1,800 miles away and almost 20 years later in 1968. And that would be the Zodiac Killer. So there's a lot of interesting connections to the Zodiac Killer and the Texarkana Phantom and the timeline of only, you know, about 20 years makes it almost plausible that this could be the same killer. Again, San Francisco uh, is a much different location than Texarkana, but if you look at the killings, there are many similarities. The killer stalked their prey. He struck random victims of opportunity. He wore a costume with a, a hood that the eyes were like cut out. Um, he killed with similar weapons, uh, left the bodies at the scene of the crime. They were unconcealed. They were just there, killed them and ran. Um, the killer was suspected to wear navy boots and both footprints that were found at both scenes were judged to be about 10 and a half inches. The killer normally struck at night and on the weekends. Um, and then also, again, you know, suspected of shining a flashlight in the victim's eyes beforehand, used different types of handguns, suspected the suspect mainly attacked people in Lover's Lane areas. Um, that was the MO. However, both of them changed their MO. So the Texarkana murderer changed from Lover's Lane, attacking people at Lover's Lane, to this farmhouse, which was the Stark murders. And, um, you know, that was through the window. Very change of MO, a different gun, everything. The Zodiac also switched from couples in Lover's Lane areas to Paul Stein, which was the cab driver that he shot in broad daylight. Um, the suspects were labeled Phantom by the press, and then suspected Zodiac letter in a threat to um, Marco Spinelli on July 8th, 1974. He referred to himself as the Red Phantom. So there is a really interesting coincidence. Uh, cars were reported stolen before every murderer. Um, one of the attacks was at a park. So they both had one in the park. Um, a female victim was shot through the a jaw and tongue and survived in both cases. Um, and again, they have these really weird jurisdiction issues. And, um, you know, it's really weird to think that, okay, well, there's 46 people working on the Texarkana murder from, you know, two counties, a few states, a Texas ranger, county sheriffs, city sheriffs, state sheriffs, all these people involved, detectives from different states and counties and cities, 
that are all related to Texarkana. And that was similar with the Zodiac. It was a huge jurisdiction issue because he went in San Francisco. But at the same time, um, you know, there were a lot of people in the case. He was writing to the press. And also Vallejo, you know, again, similar to Texarkana, is this really interesting, tough and rumble, blue collar town with a military presence. So there are all these coincidences that happened between the Texarkana Moonlight Murders and the Zodiac Killer. And both were revolving around astrological symptoms. Like I, I can keep going and keep going and I just keep finding interesting things. And the most interesting thing about both of them, I think, um, all three of them actually, if you include the Fort Lauderdale killings, all three of these cases, though 20 years apart, are unsolved. They're unsolved, they're cold cases, they are not, there's no, there's nobody that, there's no suspect. So theoretically too, if the Texarkana Moonlight Murderer um, was the same as the Zodiac, um, there is a likelihood that he would currently be dead. Um, he would be old otherwise. If he wasn't dead, he would be probably in his late 80s, early 90s, um, depending on how old he was. And I'm pegging him as a real youngster in like, the 40s when he was on his killing spree in Texarkana. So, but again, the timeline between the Texarkana murders and five months later at Fort Lauderdale makes sense, same MO. And then you have 20 some years later in San Francisco, the same type of murder spree. The other thing is serial killers, if you get inside the head of a serial killer, they don't just stop killing. They don't wake up one day and go, today's the day I'm going to stop. They don't stop killing. There's a reason that they stop killing. They move out of town. They leave. They find, I don't know, a different hobby. <laughs> they kill cows instead. I don't know. But they don't just give up killing, right? Um, and so the idea for, you know, this to potentially be the same suspect in both the Zodiac and the Texarkana Moonlight Murders is actually astoundingly plausible because if you think about it you know could move across the country and try to lay low for a f couple decades and then start killing again once you feel comfortable once you know your ins and outs once you start planning this um, it's very possible to do that um, at least in, in I would assume it would be easier to do that in the 40s 50s and 60s so basically they're still really not sure who, you know, either of these murderers were. However, it is possible. Um, it is a theory. It is a coincidence. Whatever it is going to be, you can make that distinction yourself. However, I'm giving you the facts. These are the facts. These are the coincidence. This is kind of my opinion. Um, if you're more interested in the Zodiac Killer, there actually is a really good... Uh, a movie called The Zodiac, and it talks about all of the letters that he writes to, you know, the San Francisco paper. It talks about the whole case and basically how they thought that they found him, and they basically had this person, you know, in their hands. And there's a few people that, um, you know, the true identity of the Zodiac has not been 
identified. However, you know, people think it's Gary Francis Poste. They think it's Arthur Lee Allen. There's all these different uh, people that they think it could be. But this movie really showcases, you know, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it really showcases who they thought it was, how close they came to potentially charging the person they thought it was, but how they basically had all this evidence but not enough to convict. Some of it was admissible in court. You know, there were some people that died before they could even give statements or could be charged. Like, it's a really interesting, twisted and turned um, story that, I don't know, maybe I'll make a podcast on the Zodiac at some point. But I think that it's, it's, it's such a, you know, such an interesting case. And... It is one of the most famous unsolved murder cases in American history, I think. And it has become a fixture of pop culture in inspiring, you know, amateur detectives to attempt to solve it. And I think that if you start bringing in these other murders and serial killers and these investigations like the Fort Lauderdale killings, like the Texarkana Moonlight murders, I think that, you know, it makes it a lot harder to definitively say it was them. But I don't know. I keep thinking, too. How hard would it be to look back at these suspects that you have for the Zodiac and go, well, are they, you know, did they move from Texarkana? Were they ever in Texarkana in the 40s? Uh, were they ever in Fort Lauderdale in the 40s? Um, and vice versa. I mean, they obviously didn't have very many suspects for the Texarkana, but it would be really simple if you have a list of suspects. Did they move to San Francisco? Did they go to Fort Lauderdale? Did they live in Texarkana, et cetera? So I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a detective, but that is just my thoughts and my, my words on it. So anyways, that's all I have, I guess. Um, if you've listened to My Favorite Murder, um, join the club. It's a fabulous show. Their tagline is stay sexy and don't get murdered, which I think is just phenomenal because, yeah, please, please, please don't get murdered. And if you're a murderer, please don't murder me. I'm, I don't want to get murdered either. None of us want to get murdered. Um, but it's such a fabulous podcast. I highly recommend you go watch it. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the Zodiac, there's that amazing movie I just mentioned called The Zodiac. It's phenomenal. It's kind of long, but it is a phenomenal movie. Um, there's also um, a lot of different uh, popular culture and media surrounding the Texarkana Moonlight Murders, especially the movie called The Town That Dreaded Sundown, um, which I think... I haven't seen it. I've heard that it's not the greatest show. I heard it's in like a documentary style, but if, you know, that's something that you find interesting, I don't know, give it a whirl. I might give it a whirl. Maybe not today, but I might. So anyways, that's all I have. My cats are fighting. I'm watching them. I'm still outside in case you're wondering. The wind stopped. Um, but yeah, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back on a normal schedule at some point. Um, stay tuned. You know, we have a lot more stuff coming up this year. Thank you for listening. Subscribe, uh, download, share with your friends. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook, which is at Oddballers Podcast. And until next time, my name is Elizabeth Wires, and this is Oddballers. Oddballers.